ask that the lights be switched off at this point. Thanks very much. And Reese, if you could just press play for us. tuned in 13 million people were tuned in to a football game 13 million people were getting ready for the game of their lives and God intervened the question is I know we got goosebumps watching that right but why do we need to get to a place where God intervenes and says this is what you should be doing anyway what revival would we have if 13 million people tuned into the Word of God? Here's the truth. Where our focus is is where our heart is. Why are millions and millions of Muslim people going to Mecca and the Christians are going to Old Trafford? <laughs> Yes, I don't know, I can't get away from this message of auditing our hearts. It's constantly what God is busy with with me. 13 million tuned in to watch people with a leather ball. God has given us the word and it's a mission to get people up. So, 
That's the beginning just to give you something to think about as we move into the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we prayed and we said this morning that you are worthy of it all. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts. Father, we, we fall so far short of being all in with you. Lord, our hearts are wavering and focused on the things of this world. You have created all things and our attention is not on you. Father, we pray for forgiveness, for, for forgiveness this morning and we ask that even as your word goes forth that you would minister to our hearts. The time is short. The time is short. And our very souls are at stake. This morning, we ask that you prepare our hearts for your word. That this word would reach fertile ground. Not ground by the wayside, not ground fold with rocks or thorns but we pray that this word would sink and be deep rooted so that we might see fruit from it in jesus name amen all right so here's some interesting facts to start with and this that i'm going to tell you now you know the scholars some argue this way and that way and this particular um, this particular what's the word study was uh, taken using the NIV Bible okay so what I was trying to get to was what is the very center of the Bible what's in the center the center scripture okay and like I said there is some different schools of thought on this but I don't, I don't care about that because I love the scripture that I found okay so the thought is this that there's 594 chapters on each side of this verse the sum of all of those chapters is 1188 and they say that the central verse would be Psalm 118 verses 8 it's better to trust in the Lord than have confidence in man now I don't care what study is happening but that's a good verse amen it's better to have trust in the Lord than to have confidence in man we saw it on screen just now how quickly we can feel helpless hopeless and then our heart tells us that's what it said our heart tells us who to go to our heart tells us about getting on our knees now I want to go a little deeper with this there's a book so we were talking about the central verse of the Bible there's a book in the Bible which is a mini Bible. Anybody know what that is? The book of Isaiah. Stop stressing. The book of Isaiah. Okay. 
So the book of Isaiah, there's 66 books in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. And in the same way, you've got the New Testament and you've got the Old Testament, 39 books, 27 books. The book of Isaiah is also partitioned in this way. So, if we look at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, the beginning of the Old Testament, God is bringing a charge against man for sin, right? If we go towards the end of the Old Testament, we see the promise of the coming king and the coming kingdom, the same in the book of Isaiah. If we go to the beginning of the New Testament, okay, we hear it starting out with, there is a voice crying out in the wilderness. If we go into the book of John, we see the same. Thank you. So if we go into the book of John in the New Testament, like I said, you see the same. The same that you're getting in Isaiah. That voice crying out in the wilderness. This was John the Baptist that they were talking about. Okay? And the beginning of that, of the New Testament, is literally talking about Jesus, the person, his purpose, and his work going forward. If you get to the end of the New Testament, the end of Isaiah as well, talks about the coming of the new earth, the new heaven of righteousness. Now, the 27 chapters of Isaiah, I want to further break this down for you. 27 chapters, if you divide by 3, you've got 999, right? If you divide that by 3, you've got 333. Three, three. Let's look at the middle of that. Okay, Isaiah, so it's between Isaiah 52 to Isaiah 54. You'll get Isaiah 53 verses 5. Now I want to get to the central part of this. The central part of this. He was wounded for our transgressions. <laughs> he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. He took on the punishment upon himself so that we could have peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. So we've got the central point. So firstly, in the middle of the Bible, we had this where trust in God don't put your confidence in man. You've been given a path to choose. And then here, by his stripes you are healed. You are given the key. You are given the key. But what are we doing? What are we doing with the lives that we've been giving? Is our confidence in the Lord? Is our confidence in man? Are we going to Old Trafford? Or are we so entrenched in the word that we actually would love to go to the Holy Land? These are questions that come to the fore. 
Our reading this morning is going to come from Matthew 5, verses 33 and to 37. Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37. I thank God for time in His Word. Pastor Bevan, I thank you for pushing, the, pushing me to boundaries and stretching me. God has called us to be all in, amen? And that's what I want to ask, what, what I want you to be asking yourself as we're going through these scriptures. What's our all in look like? So, amen if you're at Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Amen. Let's read the word of God. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no for whatever is more than these is from the evil one so jesus literally challenges the law here and puts himself as an authority to interpret the law that has been given look at the words that are used it says here again you have heard so, in exactly the same way that we are hearing the word of God in the days of old, this is how the Jews would be hearing from the Pharisees, from the, the, the priests and the scribes. So, again, you have heard the law, is what the word of God is saying. Now, here's the, the, the second part in verse 34. Jesus says, But... I say so you've got you've heard the law Jesus comes and says but I say this is called the teaching of antithesis the teaching of antithesis an opposing teaching to what has been given now Jesus said he didn't come to destroy the law he came to fulfill the law what he's actually saying is if you only have the law without jesus you've got one side of the coin if you are only walking according to the law without jesus christ you've got half of it if we go to matthew 5 verses 17 i'm not making this up jesus said this do not think that i came to destroy the law or the prophets i did not come to destroy but to fulfill 
if we go back to that verses 33 that we are talking about in terms of oaths, this is not a universal condemnation of oaths because we see in Hebrews that God actually made an oath to Abraham. He said, I will increase you. I will bless and multiply you. He swore an oath to Abraham. In Acts 2, Peter says of David that God made an oath to him as well. So God is not saying, don't make an oath. But Jesus is saying here, in our everyday language, let's not be flippant and casual about swearing oaths to one another. Why is he saying this? Because in that day, the Jews were actually using oaths as a form of deception. They were using this as a form of, how can I get my brother to think that I'm actually telling the truth, but I'm not really. If I swear by the heavens, if I swear by the earth, if I swear by Jerusalem, if I even swear by my own head, one thing they didn't do, though, is swear by God. Because then they were afraid of eternal judgment. But the question is, who has made heaven? Who has made earth? Who's made Jerusalem? Who's made this head? They were drawing God into it whether they liked it or not. Jesus is saying... Let us be truthful with what comes out of our mouths. Let us be truthful with what comes from the heart. What defiles a man? That that comes out of the mouth. And that that comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Introspection, family. Introspection. If we go back to verses 20. So this is Matthew 5, verses 20. And it is written, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Okay, so the scribes were those who recorded the law. They were well and they were adept at the law. The Pharisees were those elite group of political and religious leaders who were there to make sure that the law was imposed on the general public. But I think it's in, 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 verse, uh, in chapter 23 onwards. Jesus actually calls the, the, the Pharisees hypocrites because the very laws that they were imposing on others, they weren't even keeping themselves. In fact, he said, you who are 
only talking and not doing or actually keeping others out of the kingdom of God. That's a heavy charge. That's a heavy charge. So, Jesus is saying that the scribes and Pharisees were focused on the outward expression of the law. And he says to you and I, if our righteousness does not go beyond us showing one another, I'm righteous and I'm holy. I come to church and I leave church. But that's where I leave it. He says you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no doubt of maybe, if. He says that if we are talking it, but not living it, not doing it, we will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I know it's a hard one. I know it's a hard one. Matthew 5 verses 23 says that if you bring your gift to the altar, if you came to church this morning to offer up your worship and it comes to remembrance that your brother has something against you, mm, the word of God says, leave your gift at the altar. Leave your praises right there because it's futile what you're doing. If we are coming and we are offering up to God, but we are being ministered here to on our hearts that listen, back at home, back where everybody knows us, it's not all good. God says, leave this that you are portraying to everybody else. Leave this that you are showing to everybody else. Go back and look at the heart. Go back and look at the heart. Jesus did not come to destroy or rubbish the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to show us that without Jesus on the inside, the Holy Spirit on the inside, we are going back and forth. Rituals. Good works. Good works are likened to filthy rags. Now, we could even make that all nice and flowery in our heads. Some teachings would put filthy rags to those who suffered from leprosy. So, they were dirty, sickly, diseased, boils, pus oozing out. And these rags were over them, getting soiled. When we try to do good works without the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, that is what we are doing. God is saying it's like filthy pus rags to me. You coming to church, we leaving church, we come to the ritual. Those who know us know that all is not well. This is not a, a, a preaching of condemnation. 
This is a preaching of God is knocking. God is saying, come and be real with me. Come and be the all in that you saying that you are. Our souls are at risk. Somebody said the other day, and I felt this way when I went to Peter Maritzburg last week, or the week before, and it was sweltering. It was sweltering. And I had the thought and I said, Lord, if I cannot manage this, what about hell? If I cannot manage this, what about hell? Do we think about what it means if we do not surrender our lives and we pass away today? If our souls are required of us tonight, when we leave today, stand a little bit out in the sunshine before you get into your air-conditioned car and just have that conversation with yourself. If my soul gets required of me tonight, can I handle five minutes in the sun? What about hell for eternity? If we continue to put an outward show just to please and fool man with no inner transformation, Jesus warns us that we are like those hypocrites, the Pharisees and the scribes. Anything that we are practicing without Christ is just merely religion. It's just merely ritual. It's just merely filthy pus rags before the eyes of the Lord. James 1 verses 22 says, Be doers of the word, not just hearers. I like the part that comes after that says, Thereby deceiving yourself. We can deceive one another here. We think we are deceiving one another. The word says we are deceiving ourselves. Because if I'm portraying to you what I know not to be true, yes, you might be fooled, but whose soul, whose soul is at risk? Like the Pharisees that Jesus spoke about, let's not go skin deep. The word says, if you hear the word, but you are not a doer of the word, it's likened to a mirror that you go and stand in front, observe yourself. And I like it how it says in the New King James Version, it says when you walk away, it doesn't say forget what you look like. It says forget what kind of man you are. What kind of man? 
The only way you can get revelation of who you are is the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Because before the Holy Spirit was on the inside of me, I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought I was a pretty okay person. The mirror of the Holy Spirit came and showed me, you are a wretched being. You are a wretched being. You are in need of a Savior. Why do we actually come to church? Why do we come to church? To fool others? To fool ourselves? The Holy Spirit holds up the mirror and says, You need me. You need me. Now, some of the reasons that I've got written down here as to why we could perhaps be doers, or sorry, just only hearers of the word and not doers of the word. And I apologize in advance if you don't like this. But rather the truth than your soul be lost. So, a watered-down gospel could be the reason that we are hearers but not doers. Because we might be preaching over the pulpit, come to Christ, and that wish list that you have will be fulfilled. Everything will be okay. Come to Christ. So, we get people coming and thinking, okay, I hear you. I'll put one foot here just to check if it actually works, this the thing that you're talking about. I'm going to keep another foot here just in case that works. And whichever one is working for me, that's the direction that I'm going to go in. This this walk, this all-in with God is not about what you can get. I love what Grenville said just now. Sometimes we are so after the blessing and not the blesser. Wow. Why are you here this morning? Has the reality of a wretched person that needs salvation come to the fore in your heart? Or is it, what can I get out of it? If we think about, if you have a mindset of, if I come to the church and everything's going to be okay, think about Paul. Think about what Paul endured after coming in to the faith. Beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, imprisoned, house arrest. Multiple times these things were happening to him. Imagine if Paul had the mindset of, but Lord, I was coming for the blessings. What is this? What is this? What is our mindset? Why are we serving God? Are we serving God for what we can get out? We should be. Because what we should be looking at is salvation for our hearts, salvation from this wretched person, and not the things of this world that we are so focused on. Where is our focus? Is what I'm asking this, this morning. 
a gospel preached that is not all inclusive is failing man. And what do I mean by this? So often we only hear a gospel from the pulpit that is preached to people that have been traumatized by life, that are physically, emotionally broken, financially broken. Come to Jesus, everything will be all right. So my question is then, the person who is not unhappy, the person who is successful, the person who has actually made it in life here on earth, who's quite happy with the achievements, what is the gospel appealing to them if we are preaching only to those who have been broken? The truth of the matter is, the gospel as Jesus Christ preached is all inclusive it's all inclusive Matthew 4 17 says from the time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand simple message repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand if you do not repent you do not have life simple simple I saw this on Israel Piri's timeline yesterday gave me a good smile but how true he says preaching from the Old Testament narratives if what you preached can be preached in a synagogue a mosque and a boardroom and no one being offended that was a TED talk not the gospel <laughs> reality we need to be responsible with God's word. Here's a short story from a book that I'm reading. Listen to this. An experienced big city firefighter was recently charged with grave neglect of duty. The charge was based on his failing to respond timely with emergency equipment and betraying the people of his city in their time of need, which resulted in the death of a family of five. The prosecution said that for more than three minutes after arriving at the scene, he remained in the fire truck, listening to a CD with headphones on, while the family screamed to be rescued from the sixth floor of the burning building. Horrified onlookers watched in horror as the mother, as the mother's clothing caught fire and as she screamed in terror, fell to her death, still clutching an infant in her arms. This occurred in full view of the firefighter. It was later found that the firefighter was testing out an expensive gift, the CD player, that he had bought for the fire chief as a gift. The fire chief, upon hearing this, immediately distanced himself from the firefighter. He stated that he was horrified and had no words to describe the betrayal that the firefighter had displayed for those he was sworn to protect. The defense pleaded no contest, 
but added that the firefighter had gone to the great personal sacrifice of purchasing the expensive gift and hoped the judge would take that into account when passing sentence. So, question to you. What sentence do you think was befitting for the firefighter? Five years? Ten years? Twenty years? Life? Death? Any takers? Kenley, what do you think? Five years? Ten years? Life? Somebody said life. Life? Okay. The story that I told is just a story. But, how many times are we like the firefighter? We've sworn to protect. We've gotten the suit. We've donned the suit. And sometimes we are sent and we are at the scene where we are supposed to be. And we sit with the headphones on doing nothing. Christ has sent us to be his representatives. He sent us forth and said, go and do my work. Don't just be hearers of the word. Go be doers of the word. And we sit in the fire truck with the Christian suit on. And we're watching the souls fall. You said life. Christ is holding us to the same. Life. That's the truth. Life. A parable from Matthew 21 verses 28. Matthew 21 verses 28. And Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and elders and says that a man had two sons and he asked the first one, Will he work in his vineyard today? And the son said, not me. But later felt regret and went and worked. The second son was asked the same. And he said, yes, I'll go. But never did go. So Jesus asked these teachers and priests, which one did the will of the father? And they answered, the first one. Even though he initially said no, he eventually got into action and did the Father's will. Jesus goes on to say to them, Assuredly, I tell you today that harlots and what was the other one? Harlots and tax collectors will get into heaven before you. You that has the religious Look for everybody else. Is no better than those who are doing the work of God. Even tax collectors, even harlots. I was sharpening iron with a brother in the week. As I come to a close, I was sharpening iron with a brother in the week. And we were just talking about what it is that every Christian would love to hear on the day of judgment. Is it not, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that not what we aspire to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. 
But the word of God says, there is no one that is good. Not one that is good, except God the Father. The only way that God could say, well done, good and faithful servant, is if he sees himself in you. If he sees himself in you, if God does not see himself in you, there is no good and faithful service. servant. There is, depart from me. I never knew you. Beloved, it's time for truth. It's time that we serve God, not as scribes and, and Pharisees, but according to his purpose. According to the Holy Spirit unctioning, Luke 14 verses 26 says, If anyone comes to me, he must hate. Yeah. He must hate. Pastor Bevan spoke about this. And it means there must be nothing in front of choosing God. Nothing. Not your parents, not your children, not your wife, not your brothers and sisters, not even yourself. If there's anything in front of, and this is a hard one, I know, I've often thought about this. How does a parent answer this one? But Jesus says, even before that child that you love with all your heart, I must be first or else you're not all in. Or else your yes is not yes. Beloved, let's close our eyes, everybody. And nobody looking around and just do some introspection this word was so heavy on my heart the whole week because time is short there's so much that we are seeing in the world that is showing us that the time is short there's so much at stake With nobody looking around, I just want this word to speak to your heart. And if you feel that that is you today who's been putting on a show for everybody else, who has said yes, but your yes is not all in yes. We are doing what pleases man. We are doing what pleases ourselves. But we have not made an all-in commitment to the Father. God said, Jesus said, that if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And today, if that is you, slip up your hand and then put it down again. And we're going to pray corporately. If there's anybody here who says, Lord, I need to make right with you today. I need full commitment. I need to give you my all. Thank you for your hands.
Let's pray together. Father, we've heard your strong, strong word this morning. Lord, none of us are worthy. No, not one. None of us are good. No, not one. We are wretched. We confess this morning that we are sinners. This morning, we believe with our hearts that Jesus Christ is your Son. We believe with our hearts that He came to this earth and that He died for our sins. We believe that He was raised on the third day and that He is seated on the throne. This morning, we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is King. This morning, we commit our lives to you, Father. We don't want to spend eternity apart from you. The price is too high. Father, this morning we say yes to you. We say that our yes is yes. Use us. Use us to build your kingdom. Because the laborers are few, Father, 